This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome back in. This is the Lions 24 7 podcast. We are back to get you set for game day, a noon kickoff Saturday in Ann Arbor. The Big House is the location for a top 10 Big Ten showdown. Number five, Michigan. Number 10, Penn State. The Nittany Lions trying to improve the 6 0. Michigan targeting a 7 0 start. Penn State coming out of their bye week, Michigan en route to their bye week. We will have our take on all things Penn State, including some uh, feedback from practice, what we saw on Wednesday evening uh, over at Penn State facilities. Uh, Additionally, our predictions, our players to watch this game, and our thoughts on what we expect to see uh, when this kickoff happens out in Ann Arbor. But first, we begin with a longer look at the Wolverines, and we'll do that with a familiar guest on the show when it comes to this matchup. It's Zach Shaw, who covers Michigan for 24-7 Sports, and we're always happy to bring in a friend within the network, and we can do that now that we're back into Big Ten play. And uh, good to get going with you here, Zach, because we got a lot to talk about. It's a showcase game. A lot of eyes are on this one, and I know you're busy on the beat just as we are here. It's good to hear your voice, though, even though it's uh, maybe – not full strength, but no, I, I always appreciate the coverage over at Lions 24-7. Uh, really, really like what, what Daniels brought. Got to know him a little bit at Big Ten Media Days. So it's it's a fun matchup. It's two teams that, that I feel like are often in similar spots. Yeah, the one spot that we're not used to seeing Michigan in is wearing that crown as the reigning Big Ten champion. They were finally able to get to that mountaintop under Jim Harbaugh thus far on blemished record. But we talked about this on our first podcast this week. Very much on tested when you look at the non-conference schedule, a three-game sample size in the Big Ten, but their biggest matchups are to come starting with this Saturday. Where are they in terms of prove-it mode with you, albeit being those reigning Big Ten champs? Yeah, I think uh, it's it's I, I think they've played some good opponents who are good at certain things, right? Like Iowa's defense. I think Maryland's offense is going to be uh, pretty potent this season. You know, they, they you know Indiana interesting team in terms of playing tempo and drawing a lot of penalties, like kind of a different style of play. So I haven't seen them play a complete opponent yet though. So that, that to me is the big thing is, you know, what's, what does your pass game look like when your run game is really shut down or, or when the pass rush is really in your face or, or what does it look like on the other side? If, if the corners are playing elite, like what, what Penn States are looking like, you know, how good are you at getting, finding some pockets in, in the defense to, to, you know, generate some offense. So you feel pretty good about where Michigan's at on both sides of the ball. I, I think that they're fairly ranked. I mean, even if they don't finish the season number five, I don't think they're going to like fall off uh, the face of the earth. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, same thing on the defensive side, you know, how do the three kind of phases, how do they work in concert against an offense that that has talent at every spot? You know, I have certain pinpointed things that I've, I've declared weaknesses at, for, for the Wolverines. Uh, and then, but ultimately, if they show against a good team that, you know, they're past that or they're improving or or they're not as big of a deal as we thought, then, then uh, you know, perhaps they're not weaknesses and they're just not strengths. So um, definitely want to see more of this team. I know I know Michigan fans are really high on it, but, you know, I'm kind of with you. I, I look at the teams that they've played. The first three games, it's like they didn't happen. It doesn't really matter. And then the last three, I think they've played decent teams and they've played well. But I don't think they've shown a complete game, and I don't think their opponents have shown to be a complete team yet. There's all sorts of spots we could start here. I do want to get to some of those weaknesses that you talked about. Certainly some strengths. We'll discuss those as well. But where do you think this biggest storyline is at this point for a 6-0 and team trying to repeat as Big Ten champions, looking to get back to the college football playoff? Yeah, I think it's it's hard. You know, When you say storyline, it's if you're – Saying other anything other than the quarterback, uh, that would be a be a surprise to me. So yeah, I mean JJ McCarthy, new starter. He's 
been really good in five starts. He leads the country in completion percentage. He's fifth in uh, passer efficiency rating. So, you know, so far so good. But, you know, this is going to be his first top 10 matchup. Uh, I would say it's probably his best pass defense. I mean, I guess you could split hairs with Iowa's pass defense. But, you know, this is a game where he's really going to have to uh, show something different or show that next level, I guess, as a quarterback, show that he can be a playoff caliber, Big Ten championship caliber quarterback. Uh, all signs point to yes, talent-wise. You know, he's done everything that's been asked, but I don't think he's been asked to do a ton. You know, you look at his his passes 20 or more yards downfield. It hasn't been quite as uh, prolific. It hasn't been a big part of their game. I got to think against Penn State, they're going to have to throw to all different levels. They're not going to be able to just find the wide-open tight end and the wide-open slot receiver you know, alternate basically throwing to those two guys. Like they're going to have to move the ball around a little bit. And he's going to have to face some pressure. And and ultimately he's, he's pretty quick. He's going to have to run the ball a little bit too. So to me, that's the big storyline is how does this, the five-star recruit, the sophomore, uh, the new starter, how does he fare in his first big test? Um, because, you know, ultimately a lot of this team has, has been here before. The offensive line, Blake Horm didn't play against Penn State, but he played against some other good teams last season. I mean, there's, there's a decent amount of comfort, especially on offense, in, in being able to show up for big games. But if the quarterback, you know, isn't there or is having an off game, uh, suddenly things can get pretty interesting and, and, frankly, pretty dicey for the Wolverines. When you unseat the starting quarterback and a team leader of a conference champion like yeah. J.J. McCarthy did at quarterback with Cade McNamara, who we've seen play Penn State well before, there, that says something about where you are, skill set wise, the evaluation that the staff is doing to make a move like that with a team like that, with a lot of returning veterans in that locker room. Can you go inside that surge? We know about what happened for him at the high school level. Five star talent, elite 11 guy, finished his career at IMG Academy, the pinnacle of the prep level. What's it been like since he got to Ann Arbor to put himself in this kind of a spot? Yeah, it's, it's always been a matter of when, uh, because, you know, obviously he's really talented, but I think I go back to the quote that Jim Harbaugh used down in Iowa. Um, you know, he said he reminds, JJ reminds him of a young Jimmy Harbaugh in terms of his, not necessarily just the skill set, but in terms of his commitment to, by any means necessary, get extra yards. He's not, he's not a slider, you know, when he, when he gets out and runs, I, they're working on it. They're trying to get him to the slide a little bit more, but you know, he's a really competitive, fiery individual, really a lot like Cade McNamara. And so I think last season, um, you know, it was Cade's team. I think Michigan at least thought a couple times about making the switch because I think he, I think they're similar in terms of their leadership, their competitive fire. Uh, but then I think JJ is able to make throws that Cade isn't able to make, or, or if Cade's able to make the throw, JJ can get the ball a little bit faster thinking about like a screenplay it's been so much more effective with J.J. McCarthy out there because the ball gets there so quick that, you know, the defense hasn't been able to adjust. Some of, you know, Cade's kind of the, uh, in baseball, he'd be like the curveball, the junk ball pitcher, you know, doesn't throw 96, uh, but can still get the job done. J.J. seems like he can throw 96 or 97 and, and also has those off-speed pitches. So I think the big thing for him was mastering the playbook. Um I'm curious to wonder, I always wonder, like, if this conversation is different, if he was healthy during the spring, he had a shoulder issue, didn't practice at all in the spring, uh, really didn't get into, you know, full reps or anything until mid-July. So you talk about his surge, I mean, it was really like four or five weeks that he was able to close that gap. But I think, you know, he was in last season, he's, he's played a lot of big games uh, in Michigan. Michigan has always felt like eventually he was going to take the starting job. So they kind of prepared him as such. And, and I would say the, the transition has been seamless. I mean, certainly, uh, unfortunately for Cade, he got hurt. So he's been out the last few weeks, but this is, this is a, a starting quarterback in JJ McCarthy who doesn't look like a first year starter now different against a top 10 team, but you know, he's gone on the road, looks pretty efficient against both Iowa and Indiana. And I thought that second half against Indiana was really where you started to see, okay, this is this is what the long-term outlook for him is. You know, he started making more what I would call star plays, uh, where he's converting on third down or slinging it way downfield or or escaping some some legitimate pressure. So, um, you know, felt feel like he's on the upswing and feel like he's someone that's that's continuing to grow, kind of within the offense. Not they're not just putting a new guy in. You know, he's really 
connected with the players, really viewed as a leader of that offense. You mentioned upswing. I think that's a perfect segue to Blake Corum because, wow, what he is doing in Big Ten action has put him at the forefront of a lot of conversations about postseason awards. It's very early, uh, but but what he's doing at running back right now, we'll review it. Uh, last week against Indiana, 124 yards on the ground with a touchdown. Uh, the week before at Iowa, 133 yards with a touchdown. And then the week prior to that, the last time Michigan was home against Maryland, he went for 243 yards, two touchdowns yeah. on 30 carries. Now, Man, I don't know if you saw this coming through his non-conference play. I know that you know, he put up some some strong stats. I think he had five touchdowns on, what, 12 carries against UConn, something crazy like that. But did you anticipate this kind of explosion to start the conference play for Blake Corum as you know the guy in the backfield? Uh, I, I did. Yeah, I'll, I'll pat myself on the back for that one. I mean, he, had, <laughs> he almost had 1,000 yards last season. He missed – three and a half games due to a sprained ankle. So, you know, if he, if he was healthy all last season, it, it might be Blake Corum people are talking about more than Hassan Haskins last season. And they both had great years, but, you know, Corum, he was out for the Penn State game. He was out for a couple other games. So, um, you know, but, but the first half of last season, he was electric. I mean, he was averaging almost, you know, 140 yards a game at one point. And so, um, yeah, he's he's really good. You know, he's really fast. He's got verified speed. You know, his his laser forty times out of high school were were fantastic. Uh, but then he's also really strong, and and there's really not a lot of wasted weight in his five foot eight, uh, two hundred and ten pound frame. I mean, he's he's really strong. He runs well up the middle. I think he's he's starting to grow in terms of fighting for those extra yards. You know, how many yards do you get after the first wrap up? Uh, and so I think he's growing in that regard, but he's, he's really elusive. Um, you know, I, I think he's just a tough matchup for a lot of defenses. I, I think that there, and that's something uh, they liked about him out of high school. And that's, you know, that's, that's why this offense was kind of catered around him. Now I did not expect him to take on so many carries the last three weeks. And that's where Donovan Edwards uh, got hurt. You know, he missed a couple games. He was back the past two weeks, but on a, maybe a lower pitch count, so to speak. Um, and so that that's where things get interesting is, you know, now I think Edwards is continuing to to reacclimate. You know, do they do they try to go 50 50? Because at one point that was hypothesized. Uh, but to the eye or to the eye test, I guess, Blake Corum's just looked like a really complete running back. Someone someone that's hard to take the take off the field or, or not put the ball in his hands. You know, it's it's reminiscent. to seems like every year there's like a big 10 running back or two that that is just, you know, the, the offensive game plan can almost be. Um, you know, running back left, running back right, and and you'd at least have a chance. And, and Michigan's got a got a balanced offense, but at the same time, you know the way he's running, the efficiency too, you, yards per carry, and and I, I think his rate of scoring when they ask him, can you score, you know, within the five yard line, uh, is really high as well. So he's he's fantastic, and and he's a big big reason why Michigan's in the top ten right now. When Michigan looks to put the ball in the air, uh, looks like they're doing a pretty good job spraying the ball. Ronnie Bell leads the way among receivers with 30 catches, almost 400 yards. But a couple other receivers, Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, both have three scores on the season. Uh, they're both at or pushing toward 200 yards. Uh, tight end uh, getting a lot of work early on. Uh, can you tell us about J.J. McNamara's ability to spread the wealth a bit and kind of who are the playmakers that a very talented Penn State secondary might be challenged by? Yeah, I think uh, that's a hallmark of Michigan under Jim Harbaugh. They, they seem to always spread the ball around. They might not have a 1,000-yard receiver, but they might have, you know, three or four guys who get at least 400 yards. So it's – it's uh, so far this season, Ronnie Bell has looked about as good as as anyone could have hoped for. He missed all of last season with an injury. Um, I'm, I mean, he's faced Penn State a couple times already. So he's been around a while, fifth-year senior. And then Luke Schoonmaker, you know, Eric All was kind of Michigan's star tight end, but Luke Schoonmaker had a nice finish the last season. And Eric All, uh, he's out for a while. We haven't been given any specifics, but, you know, with an injury. And Luke Schoonmaker has stepped in and, and frankly, looked really good. Now, you know, if, if there's a defense that can defend tight ends or understands, you know, how to, how to stop a tight end, it might be Penn State. Uh, so I'm curious to see. But, like, it seems like he's really good at creating separation. He's got a really good catch radius. Um, and then once he gets the ball, he can scoop, you know, he's not, he's not slow. And so, uh, he's been really effective, just kind of almost like the check down guy, right. The, you know, the play isn't quite 
working out, but he's always there. He's always open or able to make a contested catch. Uh, Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, AJ Henning, uh, kind of kind of the rest of the group. The the main hallmark I see is speed. Uh, you know they're faster than Ronnie Bell, and so if they can get the ball with with a couple, a little bit of space to create some speed, I think they can be really dangerous. Um, they're not quite as well rounded, maybe in, in terms of route versatility or, or catching passes in traffic as Ronnie Bell is, but at the same time. Um, Still pretty good. I mean, the numbers are the numbers. They're they're able to produce, and especially in the yards after the catch. I think this, uh, uh, you know, the back end of Michigan's pass catching core is is a group that can really uh, create yards for themselves. Uh oh, did I? Did I shut we got down? you. Oh. We got you. Okay. Oh <laughs> yeah, we got you. <laughs> we, we we can we can shift gears anyways because I want to talk about the guys up front. Um, a lot of attention on Penn State's defensive line depth. It's in a much better place than the last time these two teams met. Um, on the other side of the football, though, what is Michigan? Uh, how what's your evaluation? I guess of the offensive front through these first six games of the season. Yeah, they they started slow. Um, they didn't have their. I didn't think they had particularly amazing games in non conference play which says something because they weren't playing very good defensive fronts. Uh, but I think the last, especially the last two weeks, I feel like the pass protection's gotten really, really good. Uh, it's an athletic group. You know, it's a lot of guys who, who, you know, were former basketball players out of high school or former four-star recruits. Um, you know, so they've got pretty good footwork along with the size and, and the frame that you would expect a Michigan offensive line to have. So uh, you feel like they're really good in pass pro. I think, I think the run blocking struggled a little bit last week against Indiana. Not a lot of space before, you know, we talk about Corum and how good he is at once he's gotten wrapped up or once someone's gotten, got an arm tackle on him, how many more yards he can get. But against Indiana, he had to do that more than probably he wanted to. Um, and, and that's I, Indiana. They seem like they can stop the run well, but, but I assume Penn state's going to do a little bit better. So it's, um, it's it's a pretty good offensive line. I think there's still growth to be made in that run blocking, but it's it's an experienced group. Uh, you know, only one first year starter, and I don't think anyone is not a. Uh, Zach Zinter is the only third year guy. Everyone else is fourth or fifth year player. Well, uh, I mean, the big question for Michigan, I think, across the the, the across on defense was, what are you going to do without those edge prospects who were just dominant time and time again? We got a firsthand look at that in Beaver Stadium last fall. Um, how has Michigan gone about replacing some of those key components on the defensive side of the football? Give us the new names on the rise, the new names that could give fits to Sean Clifford in that backfield. Yeah, Mike Morris has been about as good as anyone in the Big Ten, actually. I think he leads the Big Ten in sacks. Um, you know, but but even not when he's just getting sacks, the quarterback pressures, the pressure rate, he's he's pretty good. Uh, and he's a big body, you know, he's not quite like Aiden Hudson, David Ajabo. Like he's gonna be able to do it uh, you know, even with with some double teams or with a little bit more attention thrown on him. You know, he's almost I think he's two hundred and ninety-two pounds, so he's he's very good. And then Elsewhere, it's, it hasn't been super consistent, but you're starting to see uh, Yabi Oki, you know, former five-star recruit, Alabama commit, transferred to Houston, then Tennessee Martin, uh, kind of kind of left for dead by a lot of people. Thought a lot of people thought his right. career was over, but he's starting to show each week. It seems like he gets better and better, and that's that's really a best-case scenario for Michigan. So, you know, in terms of the pass rush, you're seeing a little bit more from the linebackers and defensive tackles too. Uh, they're av actually averaging like a sack and a half more per game than they did last season. Uh, now it's, you know, they don't have the the superstars that, that everyone's paying attention to, but I think collectively the group so far has been a lot better. And then one thing that also helps is, is they have really good cornerbacks, uh, you know, really shut down guys. They kind of remind me of, of Penn state starters where it's like, you don't even worry about them. Like if, if the ball's going to them, it's probably, uh, you know, getting, being an incompletion two thirds of the time. And, and I, I think the safeties are pretty athletic and rangy as well. So I think Michigan's gotten a few coverage sacks this season too. I mean, it's it's going to be something that will be tested against Penn State, knowing how they can get the ball out quickly. Uh, but at the same time, I think this is a defense that uh, if you're passing, I mean, you you better know where you're going quickly because uh, there's a there's a pretty collective pass rush that that's getting better each week. I want to ask you one more question on defense? Who are the certifiable game wreckers? that could swing the pendulum against Penn state. Yeah. Well, DJ Turner is, is a star. I mean, if you 
throw it lazy to him, he'll pick it off or get a hand on it at least. Um, you know, Jermaine Green, I think, is he's pretty rangy. He's got long arms, so he's someone that it could be as well. Uh, you know, Mozzie Smith, I, I, I know he, he made like the athletics, he topped the athletics freak list in the offseason. His numbers aren't amazing, but I think he's drawing a lot of double teams, and he's someone where if you give him you know, half a second or half a foot uh, to make a play, he's, he's going to. So him and Chris Jenkins have been great up front. Uh, linebacker is probably the, the weak point, right? In Junior Colson, he's got a lot of tackles. He's making a lot of plays. But I think that entire group is susceptible in coverage. I think Penn State, knowing how they use slot receivers, tight ends, running backs in the passing game, this is, this is going to be an interesting challenge for Michigan because I, I don't think that's been – a place where they they feel super confident in so far. So, um, you know, they, they've got some good secondary pieces, uh, some some good safeties, but I, I think that this is a group that the right passing team that knows how to create opportunities in the middle of the field might might have some opportunities against this, against this defense. All right, Zach, me and my Lions 24-7 colleagues are going to give our predictions in just a few minutes here on the podcast. I'm curious if you have kind of landed on where you're leaning uh, for this Saturday's matchup and your reasoning of why as you give us your final thoughts as we wrap up this segment. Yeah, I think I think right now I'm, I'm leaning Michigan because they, they really don't lose these kind of games at home. You know, they've lost a couple times at home to Ohio State under Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Michigan State's gotten them a couple times, but, you know, I think back to – 2016, 2018, some of the other other times where their Michigan got to play Penn State in front of, you know, their their sold out crowd, their their maze out, you know, all the all the perks that come with playing at home, and it seems like they've they've really been able to play their best in those kind of settings. Uh, and and so I'm leaning Michigan. I, I just kind of outlined if, if Penn State's going to beat Michigan, it's probably going to be passes over the middle of the field. Um, but I I think. I think Michigan's offense, you know, I think their run game is going to be something Penn State hasn't faced much of this season. I don't believe that they faced really a good rushing attack at all. And so that will be an interesting test for Penn State. Uh, I'm leaning leaning Michigan because I think there's they're at home. I think that they have a pretty uh, balanced, potent offense that, that's different than what Penn State's faced so far. And uh, I don't know. I, I mean, this is, this is a tough one to pick, right? It's a top 10 matchup, but... Uh, that's where I'm leaning and and looking forward to seeing what happens. This is going to be one of the Big Ten games of the year, in my opinion. Yeah, you and I will both know a lot more about the teams that we both cover after this matchup than we do at this point in the season. Zach Shaw does a great job covering Michigan for 24-7 sports. We'll talk to you next year in the same spot, I'd imagine. Until then, uh, be well and enjoy the coverage Saturday. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Big thanks again to Zach for his insight on the Wolverines. Let's shift the spotlight to the local level. That means bringing on Lions 24-7 colleagues, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen. We spent uh, our Wednesday evening, Wednesday afternoon, as we always do on the Penn State practice field. Let's start there before we dive into this matchup and share our thoughts and predictions and opinions and players to watch and everything else that we do. Daniel, we were all looking for number one at wide receiver. We did see him, Keandre Lambert-Smith, uh, left very early in the Northwestern matchup. Has not put together great stats to this point, but he's a third-year starter, and he's that guy that you get in the ball in space. He can make some dangerous things happen at receiver. So uh, a, a good indication that he may be available, but none of us are going to go so far to say that he will be available. I think we're definitely going to have to wait until noon Saturday to find out if Keandre Lambert-Smith is, is a go. But 
it was a positive to see him out on the field uh, for Penn State. He looked to be moving pretty smooth. Um, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell uh, if it's not a pronounced limp. If you're looking for one, uh, your eyes can play tricks on you sometimes. But he was out there uh, in the individual portion that we saw. It looked like he was a full participant. Um, and right now, with kind of what you're looking for out of that Penn State wide receiver core, uh, you need as many guys as you can get. And even if Keandre Lambert Smith's uh, numbers this year aren't maybe the most impressive, he's still someone that gives you a downfield threat. You can make something happen with the ball in his hands. And if he's out there on the field, that gives you another explosive playmaker against one of the Big Ten's best defenses. Redshirt freshman Harrison Wallace would presumably be the next man up at that spot if Keandre Lambert-Smith cannot go. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that. We'll be keeping an eye pregame on Tyler Warren at the tight end position. He was not involved in action against Northwestern. Uh, we've seen him log a couple starts over the course of this season. Uh, but Theo Johnson, the last couple matchups, has been the guy most involved next to Brenton Strange at the tight end spot. We'll see if Warren's back uh, taking snaps on Saturday. And then Hunter Norzad is another name to monitor heading into the Michigan matchup. We have not seen him in game action since uh, the, the week three against Auburn, which is a while ago now, uh, about a month ago, September 17th. So um, there was a week where J.B. Nelson stepped up and rotated in with Landon Tengwall. And then there was a week against Northwestern where no one rotated in with Landon Tengwall. Is Norzad healthy? Is he going to rotate? Is Norzad healthy? And is no one going to rotate? Uh, that, that's something that I am personally curious to see how they handle at left guard. I wanted to, to do one more note from practice. It's not going to impact this game. It's not going to impact any more games here in 2022. But Zariah Fisher, the redshirt sophomore defensive end, a guy that has been an observer at every single practice that we've attended since early August, been right there in the thick of it with the defensive lineman as, as an observer. That changed this Wednesday. He was actually dressed in full uniform. He was participating in the circuit drills that we witnessed. Um, I asked James Franklin after practice if that indicated anything beyond just uh, reaching some kind of milestone in the recovery process. He said that he crossed the next threshold, but no, it didn't really impact the way they view him here in 2022. So like Smith Vilbert, someone that will be tracking, heading toward the winner, someone who can maybe have an impact next year. Um, but to their credit, bringing in uh, a freshman and then I, Dennis Sutton, a transfer in Chop Robinson and, and working Adiza Isaac back to full strength. The loss of Zariah Fisher has not really been that prevalent in, in any kind of conversation we've had at the defensive end position. We didn't know if it would be that way back in the spring. Mark, let's bring it back to game week now. And, and Manny Diaz was at the forefront on Thursday during uh, our weekly coaches call. I was actually filming a video hit with CBS, um, so I missed out on this call. I would love to hear from both your perspectives, though, and what stood out to you. It sounds like it went 20-plus minutes, which is a very long time for us. We're appreciative for that. Mark, starting with you, Manny Diaz, 5-0. and The takeaways are piling up. What's the attitude? What's the vibe around this guy right now? Well, just a couple quick things first. It sounds like your voice may be back to 100% by the time uh, the game gets here, which which is going to be good. And I did want to add one note about Zariah Fisher, if that's okay. I know we're a little bit crunched on time, but you know, one of the cool things, Tyler, you were there was kind of the dynamic within the team, having him back, how happy everybody seemed to have him going through drills. Stacey Collins saying, it's good to have you back, man. Uh, the different players you know, just kind of slapping him on the back. And I think it speaks to – bringing this up to where, where where we are with Manny Diaz, you know, even though you have a new coordinator, boy, the, the dynamic within this defense so far this season has been really, really good. You know, even in games when the offense has struggled, this unit has really stepped up. Uh, you know, huge goal, lanes, goal line stand, obviously, uh, against Northwestern. Didn't play perfectly against Northwestern, but when you hold a team to seven points, I think that says a lot in Listen, when you're talking to Manny Diaz for 20 minutes with other members of the beat, you know what you're getting. You're getting an extremely polished coach who was clearly, you know, comfortable being a head coach at a, at a Power 5 program in a, in a major media market uh, in Miami. But I think what you're getting, and Daniel can probably back me up on this, is the, the comfort level he has with this team, with this personnel. You know, we've talked so much about the Prowler package, which is kind of their third down nickel dime type stuff. And, you know, I asked him specifically, you know, do you tailor the Prowler package to the personnel or is it the personnel to, to the Prowler package? And really, I think he walked into an ideal situation where they had so much depth in the secondary. You have a, a, a defensive line that has absolutely reloaded. 
and he hit on that with, you know, you go back to the spring, you don't have PJ Mustafer, uh, you you barely have Adisa Isaac, you don't have Chop Robinson, you don't have Deny Dennis Sutton, so you add all of these new pieces in, and then he's able to work that with the secondary and an improved linebacker group, and I think the way he's brought all this together very very quickly has been has been an absolute positive. Now, let's see where it goes from here, because even he admitted, you know, now you're getting into the the, the, the meat of the schedule. Uh, it's one thing to do this against teams that you were expected to beat, that you were heavily favored to beat, uh, and that you did beat. It's another thing now that you're, go- you're entering this game this week as an underdog, and you'll probably be an underdog a couple weeks from now against uh, Ohio State, but this is the meat of the schedule. But I think they're well-positioned defensively with this guy as the coordinator. He has fit in perfectly, and I think he's been a great match for James Franklin and what he does. Daniel, you and I have been documenting all these conversations as we do each game week. I think we're up to nine total discussions between coaches and staff members this week uh, for our VIP subscribers up at Lions 24-7. I'll mention this now. I'll mention it at the end of the show probably. Right now, a deal through kickoff uh, this weekend, $1 for two months, get you through the rest of the regular season, give you a good indication of what we're doing from a rec- recruiting coverage standpoint as well. Uh, there's a quick tease right there. Uh, but, Daniel, we've, we've been doing that behind the paywall and, and, and trying to let everybody know what we're hearing what did you hear from Manny Diaz that stuck with you? I liked a lot of what he had to say about the younger guys. Um, Abdul Carter is someone who we've heard a lot about. Um, and Manny Diaz dropped a couple little nuggets there. He said that they're trying to figure out how to get him around the quarterback uh, a little bit more because he has some natural pass rushing ability. Um, I think that that's something that that people like to hear. Um, but I was really interested in kind of what uh, Mark asked them about the Prowler package and um, you know, going in and, and seeing what the personnel was and kind of tailoring things to that. I mean, I think in the spring when we were talking about this Penn State secondary, uh, it was very much like, OK, who is going to be the one safety next to Jair Brown? And then the two guys, maybe we'll see them a little bit. Um, and then you kind of think as, as the guys impress, it's like, well, they all do these things differently. How do you decide which one? And Manny Diaz comes in and why not put all of them uh, onto the field at the same time? Um, so I think that the flexibility uh, in there, you know, he said that in those situations, you want to have the best, uh, your best pass defenders on the field when it's third and 10 and the lady in row Z knows that a pass is coming. Uh, you want to be able to, to put the guys out there who are going to prevent that from happening. Um, I also thought he had some interesting things to say about, uh, about the linebackers. Um, I believe it was in August. He said that he knew that, a lot of people viewed the linebackers as a question mark, and none of these guys came to Penn State to be question marks. Um, they came to, you know, to be part of linebacker U and and to play a, a prominent position for a prominent university. And he said through five games, they've really kind of answered that call. Um, he was asked about Michigan being a test for that group. Um, he said that well, every week is a test. That you know, we said the same thing before the Auburn game. Um, and then it's just kind of building on it. So um, I think that he's showed some confidence uh, in those groups. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to see, um, you know, what that looks like on, on Saturday. Um, the linebackers, he had, some, he had some really good things to say about Kobe King. Um, he said that you kind of forget how young he is when you're watching him on the field. Um, and that I think that Mike linebacker spot, you know, given what Michigan wants to do, what Michigan does, uh, you're going to have a lot of eyes on Kobe King, on Tyler Elsden. Um, and you want to see how these guys really, you know, stack up um, to this Michigan running game. Yeah, we had a few matchups that we covered in September where we said it, James Franklin said it, not really a linebacker game. This is a linebacker game. So we're going to get a good look at that unit in action on Saturday. Um, one other thing that stood out to me just from reading your notes, Daniel, on what Manny Diaz had to say, you focused on the younger guys. I'll focus on one of the older guys in the team, a two-time team captain, P.J. Mustafer, and him using the analogy of essentially maybe trading for uh, a, a cleanup hitter. Uh, you know, When you're already a pretty darn good team and you add that cleanup hitter in baseball at the trade deadline, and all of a sudden uh, it changes what you can do. It changes the way you can construct your batting order. Um, 
shifting it over to football conversation, it it means a lot when you have that accountability. Guy knows what gap he's supposed to be in. Uh, it frees things up for linebackers, frees things up for defensive ends, and you just can't say enough about PJ Mustard for reinserting himself, not just as a presence. It's a big game to test where he's at physically, but he's coming off a couple really impressive performances. I thought based on where he was in September. And this is also just a testament to where he is impacting this team in things that we don't necessarily see. And good to hear more on that from Manny Diaz. Big boy football is the word that James Franklin applied to this Big Ten matchup. Uh, Michigan State, or I'm sorry, Michigan 6-0 and on the season. Penn State 5-0 and on the season. Michigan heading into their bye week. Penn State coming out of it. Um, as we've addressed on the first episode of this podcast, uh, seven points is the spread. That has not changed. Um, over the course of this week to this point, I, I checked just before we, we recorded. So still a full touchdown spread in favor of the defending Big Ten champions. And guys, Ohio State has largely ruled this conference since Jim Harbaugh and since James Franklin uh, became head coaches for these respective programs. The Sporting News had a really interesting piece with some stats in it uh, that I caught this week. Since 1993, when Penn State showed up in the Big Ten, Michigan has 251 total wins. Penn State has 250 total wins. Uh, since James Franklin showed up on the scene in 2014, both of these teams have exactly 72 wins. Unfortunately for them, the problem has been that during that span, Ohio State has 99 wins. <laughs> so these two have jockeyed for the Big, Big Ten's next best title, and you can really apply that to the recruiting trail. But what's going to happen is the winner of this game is going to be in that proverbial driver's seat because Ohio State still has to play both of these teams. Mark, you've covered a lot of big time, big 10 matchups. Uh, we got another one to look forward to on Saturday. Yeah, and I think you hit on the dynamic. I think the great part of it is that, listen, if Penn State could somehow win this one, you know, then you're looking at, uh, you know, not to look past Minnesota because I've seen Minnesota ruin Penn State seasons like in 1999. But I think it's going to be pretty interesting. You know, then I'll, I think your entire mindset shifts, and it's like, wow, now in two weeks with Ohio State coming in for a home game, things could get nuts. I mean, things could go get crazy in a hurry. You know, having said that, there is a lot on the line for Michigan in this game. You know, anybody could make the college football playoff once, right? And that's what that's what Michigan has has been able to do in coming off of last year. Now, can can Michigan validate that? Can Michigan can Michigan uh, show that that was not a fluke? And and that's what's on the line for Michigan in this game. Conversely, Penn State has yet to get to the college football playoff. Even though some people may argue that there was a year where they belonged in the college football playoff, that's neither here nor there. So I just I love that there is so much on the line in this game because frankly up to this point, yeah, I mean they they were important games. Every game's important. Take them one at a time, one and zero, oh, blah blah blah. But now it's getting real. I mean now, who, as you said, whoever comes out of this is going to be in the driver's seat for the Big Ten title. And if some, somehow Penn State's able to win this thing, I mean you're looking at a two week stretch following this game where they could really put themselves in prime, prime, prime position. And even with the loss, they could still be there. But I think, obviously, the team that wins this is going to feel a lot better, a lot better about themselves. You know, I, I, as I look at it, I don't want to get too much into analysis just yet, though. Um, it's We did our predictions, and all of us, the three of us, all had three-point margins. And... Overall, with all of our predictions, it was less than a one-point margin uh, favoring Michigan with all 12 of our panelists. So this is the kind of game that after kind of going through what we saw through the first five weeks of the season, I'm ready. I can't wait to get out there. This is going to be a blast to cover. The last three times these teams met, it was a one-score game. Uh, last year came down to the wire. I think the last four minutes, uh, Michigan was able to survive and, and beat a, a pretty banged-up Penn State team. They didn't have Blake Corum. Let's all remember that. He will be part of the equation this time around. Uh, but, Daniel, Penn State, got to go back to that Big Ten championship comeback win against Wisconsin the last time they beat a an opponent ranked inside the top ten of the AP poll. Probably heard that thrown around, you know, 0 for 9 in the last nine against the uh, against the top 10 opponent. It's been brought up a few times this week. 
And um, two of those losses against Michigan last year and then a trip to 2018 where you had Trace McSorley maybe at 50% and didn't really have an opportunity to get anywhere in that game. It was a blowout loss. But that's the last time we've seen a blowout in this series. So when we look at Penn State's strengths, Daniel, where do you tend to land uh, and feel like this is going to be something they can lean on over the course of 60 minutes? I think it's going to be the defense. I think the way that that unit has played um, even though even though Michigan has one of the, the better running backs in the country in Blake Corum, um, I think the fact that P.J. Mustafer is in the middle of that defensive line, Kaziah Izzard is back. Um, you look at what happened last year, you know, there wasn't B.J. Mustafer. Guys like Izzard and Devon Elise uh, were a lot greener, a lot less experienced. Um, you did have Derek D'Angelo, who you know I think last year was one of the more underrated players on this defense. Um, but Hassan Haskins last year was just really able to grind things out um, against this Penn State defense, just kind of four yards at a time, moving the chains. Uh, he had a couple of really timely receptions out of the backfield, which I think surprised a lot of us. Um, but I think having P.J. Mustafer in there, I just feel a lot better about that front. Um, and I feel good about the linebackers. Um, and what they've been able to do, um, you know, obviously this is kind of where we're going to learn a lot about Penn State this weekend in, in a lot of areas. But I think through the first five weeks of the season, you look at how those linebackers have played. Um, I think like Manny Diaz said, they've kind of answered the call to, to what they were challenged uh, and what kind of people were saying back in August. Um, and I like what the defensive front has done, um, especially with Mustafer. Uh, Nick Tarburton is someone who could have a major role uh, given his style uh, at defensive end. Um, and then today, Manny Diaz had a lot of nice things to say about Chop Robinson um, and his willingness to play against the run um, and his willingness to be physical. So I think looking at Penn State's strengths, um, this is the type of uh, defense that I think can make this into a low scoring game, make this into a close game where it comes down to those three to one points, maybe four points uh, in either direction. I had improved defensive line depth written down on my list as the top, you know, difference making strength that that could play out for Penn State versus where they were in this matchup last year. You mentioned PJ Mustaver, but I just think across the board, they can send some guys in waves now in a way they could not do last fall, especially for the bulk of Big Ten play. Uh, they'll get to, to, I think we'll see some some reps tighten up, but I think across the defensive line, we'll st still see some significant involvement. And of course, in the secondary, look, you're going against one of the uh, most precise passers to this point in the country, but Mark, this secondary, specifically the cornerbacks, have a way of tightening windows in a hurry. We've seen it on the practice field as lately as Wednesday against their own quarterback. But on a week-by-week -week basis now, this group has lived up to the billing. They lead the nation in, in pass breakups, and they're starting to get some takeaways to their credit now. This is a heck of a matchup, and J.J. McCarthy step on up because if you can do it against this secondary, this young quarterback is going to deserve every praise that he's going to get coming out of the matchup. Yeah, I think Penn State's fortunate that it faced O'Connell from Purdue in the opener. I'm not saying he's playing at the level of J.J. McCarthy, but he's a guy who gets rid of it quick and has typically been pretty accurate. Uh, obviously, Michigan leading the nation in uh, completion percentage at 74 and change. Uh, Penn State, we know what they've been all about. You know, one of the other things that Manny Diaz said today that really resonated with me, and it had to do with P.J. Mustafer and Jair Brown, he said it really helps – when your best players are your best leaders or your best leaders are your best players. I forget which way that was, Daniel. It was one way, one way or the other. Uh, but I, I think that's really important to have that sort of leader uh, in the secondary. I think the other important thing, there were times this year when we were watching games and they were deep into that secondary when it was still a competitive game, we're thinking, what the heck are they doing? Well, this is what the heck they were doing. They were getting ready for this game. Not just this game, but against this type of opponent. Because it's a high completion percentage, and they're going to run the ball a lot. And what does that mean? You want to keep your DBs as fresh as possible. If you're asking your DBs to get up there and run support, I mean, that's a physical tough thing to do against this sort of team. So I think being able to rotate all those safeties, being able to rotate all those corners. Don't forget, guys, Jair Brown, you, I know you don't forget this, but he's leading the team in tackles right now. And, you know, that may be because Abdul Carter missed almost an entire game. I think at the end of the season, we may be looking at Abdul as the, the Micah Parsons from his freshman year where he led the team in tackles despite only starting one game. Uh, 
But I think Jair Brown is kind of the, the straw that stirs the drink. I think his leadership is huge. And I do think as much as the depth up front is going to help against this team, I think having a depth in the secondary is going to be huge as well. This team goes in with some balance. I know we want to see that balance sustained against the Big Ten heavyweight on offense, but let's face it, they did establish some credibility as a balanced offense over the course of those five games. Uh, they're down to three scholarship running backs. That's something we'll be monitoring closely if for whatever reason someone's not available over the course of this matchup. Uh, of course, you want to see those guys shake off the fumbling issues in, on a rainy day against Northwestern. But in this matchup, I think if you can establish that early, it's going to be the most important Crucial thing that I think I'll be looking for, can you get some push up front and, and can these guys make the most of daylight? Because not only are you going to keep J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corum off the field, but you're going to give Sean Clifford some feet to stand on in this game. And you're going to give Michigan a little bit of hesitancy after, after getting after uh, Sean Clifford time and time again last year, knowing that Penn State didn't really have a credible rushing threat to counter I think this year, if Penn State can prove it can counter uh, that pass rush and it can counter uh, with with not just game breaking speed from Nick Singleton, but you know those tough four, five, six physical runs uh, that you're going to get between the tackles that are going to help move the chains and just help you get in more manageable second and third down situations. To me, that is the key in this game because as much as we talk about Sean Clifford uh, and 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 how he's the catalyst here. You don't win this game with Sean Clifford throwing 40, 50 times. You win this game with Sean Clifford playing clean football and knowing that when he gives the ball to his running backs, they're going to find some room to maneuver. Uh, that was missing the last couple games they played in Michigan. And a few years back when they played uh, and got blown out, uh, Miles Sanders was the leading rusher in 2018. Seven carries, 14 yards. When they have struggled to establish the run against in this matchup, it's been really difficult for Penn State to pull themselves out of it offensively. I know that's not really a revelation. If you want, if you run the football well, your offense does well. But to me, as much as everything centered on number 14, a lot of it is going to be about what his supporting cast can do, starting with those two freshman running backs. I think when you look at uh, Nick Singleton and Katron Allen in this game, these are the types of athletes that can that can make things happen. I think that that's a big thing that we we talked about with with Penn State last year, where it felt like Jahan Dotson was the only player who could, you know, turn nothing into something. He was the only guy that could really break down an opposing defense. And so far, Nick Singleton has shown that he can do that. Uh, we saw him running away from SEC defensive backs um, uh, a month ago, um, and he is a home run hitter out of the backfield. Katron Allen hasn't necessarily shown that that type of burst where you're every time he has the ball, you're thinking 80 yards. But I think that he's reliable in that, okay, he can turn a three-yard run into an eight-yard run. Uh, he can turn an eight-yard run into a 17, 18, 20-yard run. Um, and I think against a defense like Michigan that is so stout, has some good athletes back there, um, these are the types of players that you need to step up to have big games um, to turn nothing into something. Because in this game, I feel like there's going to be a lot of nothing for this Penn State offense. Um, and so you need someone to be able to tip the scales a little bit. Um, I think that we know on the Michigan side of things that Blake Corm is definitely that type of guy. Um, we're going to learn, I think, whether or not J.J. McCarthy is that type of guy um, in this game. But for Penn State, they need Nick Singleton and Katron Allen to be reliable, to have that upside, to have that ability to break things open and change the game with one carry. And James Franklin made it clear on Wednesday after practice, he's refusing to call those guys true freshmen anymore. They've moved on. They've played enough football. Uh, putting that to rest, they are now established members of this team, and uh, they'll have a great chance to take a step forward. And, and you know that in that room with Jaywan Sider, knowing what they had to watch on film against Northwestern, they've been waiting a while to get another opportunity to get out there and play some football. Guys, there's a few. Obviously, when you're playing up against the playing against an unbeaten team that won the Big Ten championship last year, you have some concerns. Um, let's spot like a few. I think, Daniel, you mentioned this. Uh, clean play from the linebackers, very key. Going to be a tremendous test. Abdul Carter on roller skates a little bit at times. I think last time we saw them out in the field, um, you know, is he going to look uh, like he can anticipate things a bit more? Because much like with those running backs, he the way he's polished as a recruit already and the kind of dynamic athleticism he brings, he can kind of turn this game uh, as you try to counter some of the things Michigan can do. Uh, but for me, it's more about keeping McCarthy in the pocket, keeping that integrity on the edge, uh, not just disrupting the pocket because – 
that's all well and good, but this is a guy who can step up. He can get lateral. He can not just go pick up a first down with his legs, but he can find an open receiver and buy himself some time. This is a guy that has not played a ton in terms of a starting role, but he was pretty pivotal for them in, in moments during their playoff run last year. So he's not going to be wide-eyed, and, and I think it's very important for a pass rush that has done a really good job of knocking quarterbacks off their platform this year. Can we see them corral the QB a little bit more and finish off some of those plays? doesn't need to be sacks piling up, but can you get them to force some throws to the sideline? And can you get him to maybe just take the ball and pick up a two-yard gain rather than being able to keep his eyes down the field, find a guy for a big chunk play? Yeah, I'll go on the other side of the ball. Uh, I know there's been a lot of talk about Sean Clifford. You know, uh, when we talk about the running backs, though, you know, I, I think both of those guys, the freshmen, are equipped to keep Penn State on schedule. So there's so much discussion about their explosive ability. I think what's kind of underrated about both of those guys is their ability to get, you know, two and a half, three, four yards when there doesn't seem to be a whole heck of a lot there. That's been missing. And I think that's really important in this kind of game to keep on schedule so you don't get in those third and longs and allow Michigan to kind of tee off and let those sack guys, obviously they lost two really good players to the NFL. Uh, but, but then when it comes to Sean Clifford, you know, I agree with you. They, he does not need to pass for 400 yards and come, you know, complete however many passes, you know what he needs to do. He needs to hit the passes that are there. And, and that's what, that's what was, was a red flag for me against Northwestern is that he was missing those throws. And even in wet conditions, he has to be he has to be better as a six-year quarterback. He has to make those throws. And I, I think if he's able to do that, if they're able to stay on schedule, if he can hit the short and intermediate throws, then maybe that sets up a long explosive play that's kind of been lacking. You know, I, I think, you know, fairly or unfairly, Clifford gets branded as a guy who's a game manager, but that's kind of what he is. And I'm just saying it. I mean, when he doesn't make mistakes, they have a real opportunity to win. So he's got to keep them in that position, make the throws he's got to make. I would also love to see them. You know, I, I thought they made an error against Northwestern and only targeting the tight ends twice. I think this will be a game where, you know, I, don't go overboard because, you know, you know, is it Scott Van Pelt says everybody wants to throw to the tight end on every single play. But you can't – with that talent, you can't target them only twice in, in a game. You can't. And I think in this game, you really have to rely on those guys because Strange has been playing at an elite level. And I think Theo Johnson, it, we know – I think when he's completely healthy, which I, I, I guess he's getting back to that area, uh, what he can do. And Tyler Warren, if he's good, that's a bonus. So I just think Clifford taking care of business, not making the key mistake – and hitting the throws that are right there for you to hit. I mean, Michigan's sitting there hitting 74% of their throws. Clifford should be at like 68 on this year, I would say, at least, because he's at 62 now or something like that. And it's just the, the throws he misses are kind of head scratchers, and he's got to hit them. Yeah, they need two or three downfield, you know, 25-plus yard kind of throws here, uh, I think, over the course of this game. Maybe maybe three's a little high, but they need a couple, uh, and, and those haven't been easy to come by. When, when they've had success, look, a few years back, big win against Michigan in whiteout, he was airing it out with K.J. Hamler, playing go-fetch with K.J. Hamler. You know, he's had some big moments against Ohio State, throwing it up to a guy like Jahan Dotson. We're waiting for that presence to emerge at wide receiver, I guess an alpha, you might call it. Right now, you've got a few guys contributing. There's not a ton of depth. And, of course, Sean Clifford, um, I think Keandre Lambert-Smith is that kind of a guy who could bust off that kind of a, a gain. Uh, but if he's available, we do not know. Um, the last thing we got to note in concerns, this feels like the moment that Jake Pinnaker is going to trot out there and have people across the country crossing their fingers and toes. I don't know what point in the game it's going to be, but it's going to be in front of about 110,000 people. And everyone knows the story with Jake Pinnaker. He's hitting about 50% of field goals for his career from 40 and beyond. So that's something that we'll all be looking at closely. Guys, let's wrap up with our players to watch and our predictions. Let's start with players to watch. And Daniel, we'll get going with you. Uh, I went with on the offensive side of the ball. I went with Caden Wallace at right tackle. Uh, when we saw him the last time against Michigan, uh, David Ajabo and Aiden Hutchinson turned him into a bit of a turnstile with Rashid Walker. Um, it seems like he stabilized his play a little bit um, since week one at Purdue. Um, so he's someone that that I'm watching uh, on the offensive side of the ball and then defensive side of the ball. 
Kobe King and Tyler Elsden in the middle of that defense. Uh, I think we've we've touched on it already, but that's going to be a position to really watch. And I think that those two guys have a big chance to prove themselves on Saturday. Mark? Yeah, you know, I'm going to go on defense and uh, a little bit of, of a stretch in Abdul Carter. And I know that people are worried about how is he going to react to the big stage. And I know he's not starting, but I think I think as these games ramp up, as you get into the better competition, they are going to make a concerted effort to get their big dogs on the field. If it's big boy football, you want your big, big, big dogs playing. So that's Curtis Jacobs to me. And that's Abdul Carter. I think you're going to see them find more ways to get both of those guys involved. And I just think this guy's been a tackling machine. I could see him putting up some some very big numbers. A little worried about what he's going to do in coverage. Uh, but I think you might see him put up some big tackle numbers. And over on offense, Parker Washington had a big game against Michigan last year, had a really good game against Michigan, and I think maybe this is the opportunity for Parker Washington to kind of step up and be that alpha in the room that everybody's been waiting for. He, He showed that toward the end of last year, especially in the bowl game when Dotson didn't play. And I think this is the time for him to step up and get the job done because a lot of eyes have been on him. A lot of people have had high expectations. Here's the big stage. Let's see how you do. Washington had 73 yards against Northwestern. That is his season high to this point through five games. I had Caden Wallace written down for offense, so uh, for all the reasons that Daniel mentioned. So I'll leave that alone. I'll go with Olu Fashanu across the way. I, I know they lost some spectacular edge rushing talent from this Michigan roster over the offseason, but they actually have more sacks at this stage of the season. They're averaging more sacks per game than they did last year. So it's not like all of a sudden they've lost their power of the pass rush. And 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 to me, Sean Clifford, so much of it rides on his confidence level. I think we've seen enough Sean Clifford over the course of his career at this point to know this is a guy who rides and dies with where he's at mentally. Uh, and I think the best thing you can do for him, aside from providing him with some run support in this game, is protecting him now seven sacks last year and it was a bloodbath probably could have been 10 or 11 this year i'm not saying you need to make it zero sacks but if you can limit the amount of times where he's taking significant physical punishment and where he can still do some things as a runner where he can work through his reads a little bit and he's not feeling like that internal clock is going at a rapid pace and locking on to receivers because it will devolve quickly i think if they allow it to so ogu fashano i said it before the bye week this three-game stretch, he could come out of it, and he could be at, at, at near the top of the tackle board, I think, for a lot of people, um, at least when you're evaluating the tackles in this conference. He could also come out of it, and people could say, this guy has things to work on. So I think we start to get a really strong indication of just where Olu Fashano is as that potential franchise left tackle during the 60 minutes in Ann Arbor. So predictions, guys. Number 10, number 5, what do you got? Daniel, let's go with you. I've got a Michigan 20, Penn State 17. I think that the Michigan defense is built uh, in a way to put this game on Sean Clifford's shoulders. Um, and given how the wide receivers have played so far, given how Clifford has played uh, the past couple of weeks, I'm not quite sure Penn State has enough big plays in it uh, to get over the hump. Um, it's going to be close. Uh, that seven-point spread has felt really, really big to me uh, this whole week. I don't think Michigan is a touchdown better. Uh, than Penn State, but I do think that the Wolverines are have enough and can do enough on both sides of the ball, you know, to keep Penn State at arm's length down the stretch. Mark, what do you have? Yeah, I have Michigan twenty four twenty one. You know, I, all, all eyes are on Sean Clifford. I mean, I felt bad for him because I think he could have put a lot of things to rest in that Iowa game last year. You know, winning against a top five opponent on the road. I think they were in position to really pull away with that thing when he got banged up. But the bottom line is we just don't know. I mean, and he's to the point, it's like with the offensive line at the beginning of the season where he has to show it to me before I believe it's going to get done. And I also worry about that place kicking game and Jake Pinnegar. You know, I just – in a tight game, Michigan has a good kicking situation. It's just hard for me to pick Penn State on the road, even though I don't think it's a great environment, uh, but on the road against a quality team when you have those question marks in those spots. With Pinnaker, it's not just about tying the game or winning the game as time expired. It's it's about being down by two or three points in the final three minutes versus being down four or five points and how you have to adjust your strategy and all that goes into it. I forgot to mention my defensive player to watch, Chop Robinson. Um, I think he has the ability to, to swing the pendulum in this one because ultimately I anticipate Michigan's going to play a cleaner 
day of offensive football, then Penn State's going to play a cleaner day of offensive football. So I think that's going to be the separating factor. I don't think it's going to be a turnover city for Penn State, but I think ultimately J.J. McCarthy is going to be a little bit cleaner over the course of this matchup than Sean Clifford may be. And and the, I guess the thing here is if Nick Singleton or Katron Allen go and put on a show and, and show us something that we maybe weren't expecting and change the way we view them in this Penn State offense – that changes everything, but I got a three-point deficit, 27-24. Um, but I'm not sold on it, man. I, I wrestled with this one for a while. I picked this as the first loss for Penn State in preseason. I'm going to stay with this being their first loss, um, but they've got every opportunity if they do lose this game, and it's a narrow game like we expect, to, to really swiftly work their way back into that college football playoff and Big Ten title conversation with Minnesota and Ohio State coming to town. But first things first, Saturday matchup. You heard our predictions. We'll see if it comes to fruition. And when whatever happens, we'll be back after the final gun. Um, these guys will be out at Michigan Stadium. Daniel will join me from Ann Arbor for our post-game podcast on Saturday. We'll break down whatever happens out there and start looking ahead at, at what comes next for Penn State. But for now, we'll get back to work at lines247.com. Again, two, two months for $1 right now. Full VIP coverage for the end of the season. All of our recruiting coverage leading up to the early signing period. Things are really starting to happen. Tyler Calvarizzo has a recruiting notebook up uh, on Thursday. So check that out for our VIP uh, followers. For now, stepping aside, big thanks to Daniel, Mark, our producer, Lance Glenn. I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 podcast.